All right, as we jump in this morning, the title of the message today is called Making the Word Connection. Everybody say the word. So we're talking about the Bible. We sometimes, as um, church folk, get into our, kind of our own Christianese, and the word capitalized always refers to the living word of God. We're talking about uh, not just, but certainly including the 66 books, but not limited to those six, 66 books of God's written word, but the living word of God, the, the, the word that God uses to bring that letter off of the page and make it come alive in your heart. The, the word connection is critical. To give you just two sentences of review, our first Sunday we said that we need to make sure that we're connected to Jesus because a faulty connection means a power failure. Last week we said the kingdom of God requires faith that takes action, that endures, and is expressed in love. It's, it's not enough to just mentally assent to a fact. It's more than easy believism where I just believe that Jesus lived and died, that he is Savior, possibly healer, redeemer, whatever level or degree of understanding that you might have. It's more than just saying he was a historical figure. It is believing because God tells me or calls me to get out of the boat and walk on the water, I don't just sit in the boat and go, I believe that's possible, but it means I throw my leg over the side of the boat and begin to follow the Lord into what He's called me to do. Faith takes action. Faith stands and endures in difficult times. And the motivation behind it is always that it expresses itself in love. So that's our review. This morning as we step into this new number three of Divine Connections, I want to just also give a quick a uh, little bit of a um, uh, commercial. The last Sunday of the month, the 28th, my pastor of 30 years, Pastor Ray McCollum, will be here, pastor of Celebration Church in Brentwood, Tennessee, uh, was mine and Don's pastor for all of those years. He and his lovely, crazy, hilariously funny wife, Elizabeth, uh, have been just a true rock in our lives. And Pastor Ray has a word from the Lord that is a prophetic word. It's a right now word that he's bringing to us in this year, in 2018, uh, for us as a congregation. So I want to ask you to prepare for that. And what we're going to do, we're going to fast for five days to whatever degree that you choose to do. We're not calling some kind of nobody gets to eat or drink for three days the way they did in the Old Testament. Somebody said, thank God. So whatever you make, you pre-decide, decide on the front end. We're going to do this from the 21st through the 25th. No, I'm sorry, the 22nd, because Monday's the 22nd. We're going to do the five days during the week. If it's social media, if it's the television, if it's sweets, if it's meat, if it's whatever you choose to fast, you pre-decide that you're going to do that. And If you want to take it all the way and, and do without food for a day or two. and What it means is whatever you would have been doing normally, you take that time to pray. And you begin to put together a prayer list of things for the Lord to speak to in 2018. We all have some needs. Beyond our needs, we have some dreams. We have some things that I believe God has set in our hearts for us to begin to move and work toward and pray about. So begin to compile your list and think this week, because you have a week to think about it and pray about it, what do you want to give up? Prayer is powerful, but when we couple prayer with uh, abstaining from something that we normally do and that we normally give time to, that we normally draw pleasure from, that we normally get strength from. It can be an activity. It can be a source of, of food or whatever. Uh, whatever you choose to give up, in that time, you're, you're saying, I'm going to give that time to prayer. Instead of being on 
Facebook all day long. I'm gonna just I'm gonna give an I'm gonna give an hour to or maybe ten minutes. An hour sounds like so much to people, but it's just ten minutes. Instead of doing this, I'm gonna give this to the Lord and I'm gonna pray about our church and about this new building this year. Pray about God's will in my own life. Pray for the needs of our congregation. So I'm asking you right now. I'm not gonna even have you raise your hand. I'm gonna have, I'm have you commit next Sunday. So think about it this week. What you wanna do? Pre-decide. Now you know what that means when you shop this week. If it's gonna be food. Don't even go down the Pop-Tart aisle. <laughs> Just rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Come on, how, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Because if you're going to make it food, then don't load the, the pantry with stuff that you know are going to be, push your buttons, okay? Now, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. Are you okay? You know what I'm talking about? Are you, are you a Pop-Tart dude, honey, in every flavor you can imagine? <laughs> there aren't any in my pantry right now. All right, let me move on. Making the word connection. John 8.32 is our text. Stay seated. I have two verses. I do want you to read it out loud with me, please. Here we go. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. The two critical words in that are remain faithful. Everybody say, remain faithful. All right, next verse, verse 32. And you will say it. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. King James says it this way. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word. The NLT is a little more modern. It says, if you remain faithful to my teachings. So this is not just merely agreeing with a doctrine, but this is faithfully applying the word to my life. This is saying, okay, God, this is what your word says, and by faith now, I'm going to put this to work in my life. If you will continue in my word, then you're my disciples. You're my disciples indeed, he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. This is one time I really do like the King James better than the newer translation, because all the new translations say set you free. And do you know that you can be a prisoner behind bars, and you can be set free from natural limitations. No more handcuffs, no ball and chain, no bars, no concrete blocks, no wire fences, no razor wire. You can be set free from that prison, and you can walk out of that prison free naturally, but still not set free on the inside. That means you haven't been made free. The reason I love the King James is because there's a distinction. I can be set free naturally, but still all bound up on the inside. That means I haven't been made free in the freedom that Christ came to give me. I'll just turn that coin on the other side, and I'll tell you, you can even be bound in a natural set of circumstances. You might be in a prison setting, serving out time for society, and you can meet Jesus in prison and get made free on the inside and be a free man while all the while you're still on the inside being held. And if I had to choose between the two, I'd take being a free man on the inside than rather than being a bound man on the outside. Make us free, Lord. A friend of mine, a mentor, a great man of God who has already passed into the great cloud of witnesses, Dr. Jamie Buckingham, was a Baptist pastor in Florida who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the charismatic movement. He became the editor he wrote the last page of Charisma magazine, which was from about the late 60s, probably peaked in the, in the 90s. It was called the Charismatic Movement, where God was pouring out the Holy Spirit among Methodists and Baptists and Catholics and Presbyterians, and all the mainline denominations were receiving the Pentecostal experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. And so 
uh, Jamie became a real hero of mine because I grew up in the Pentecostal church and, 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 and I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit in just a moment. But this is something he said. He said, you know, Jesus said, if you know the, you know the truth and it will make you free, it will set you free. He says, before it makes you free, it will make you miserable. How I many of you know sometimes before we really are able to tap into the source of God's grace to change and transform us, we have to let truth mess with us enough to make us miserable. Let me just say, if you have an addictive pattern of behavior in your life that you're attempting to change in 2018, you will never change it until you face reality and you break denial and you call it what it is. And you say, I'm an addict. Whether it's chemical, whether it's, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether, whatever it is, a certain pattern of thinking and behavior until you break denial. Breaking denial is the first step. You have to get real. You have to be real. You have to face reality. I have a problem. I need help. Somebody say amen. Before truth makes you free, it will make you miserable. It makes us face reality. One thing that I'm going to weave throughout this message that I want you to grab, and I'll just tell you right now, it already sets you up for my three points that I'm bringing. This is our one thing. It says, dead letter kills. Say that loud with me. Come on. Dead letter kills, but spirit makes truth alive, empowers with grace, and speaks in love. One more time. Dead letter kills, but spirit makes truth alive, empowers with grace, and speaks in love. Point number one. God is looking for spirit and Truth. Everybody say, spirit and truth. Jesus said in John chapter 4, The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in, there it is, spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. Notice it doesn't say God is truth. We know that God is true, but truth as we know it is a, a vocalized, codified, uh, uh, an expressed way of telling us how God's nature is. He is a God of integrity. He's a God of truth. But the Bible says God is spirit. Okay? And so what we want to see is that we don't divorce the two. And I'll explain that in just a moment. This is the famous story of Jesus who is encountering the woman at the well, the woman from Samaria, the woman who had five husbands now living with a sixth None of them satisfied and she's about to meet the seventh man. The seventh man is going to radically transform her life and her heart. Samaria is the area of Israel that most faithful, pharisaical, legalistic Jews chose to go around. They avoided any contact with Samaritans because they looked down on them and saw them as half-breeds. All the way back, if we trace it back to Old Testament history in the time of Solomon, after Solomon passed and his son Rehoboam takes the kingdom, there was a split in the kingdom, and the ten northern tribes went to the general of the Israelite army, Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, took the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah, which contained Jerusalem and the temple. And so those two tribes and the area of Judah remained faithful to the God of Israel, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The northern ten tribes really became very progressive and they sort of worshipped just kind of willy-nilly all of the foreign gods uh, embracing Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech, every one of them sex cults and very violent, a lot of bloodshed. And, and, and you would see occasionally 
there would be a declension, a decline uh, in Judah, but there would always be a revival. God would send a prophet. God sent prophets to Israel and to Judah. Judah had revivals regularly. Uh, when you read the history of the kings of Israel and Judah, there was always an evil king sitting on the throne in Israel. And they didn't have a revival. They didn't have the kinds of revivals that Judah had where they would turn back to God and they would cry out to the Lord and the Lord would deliver them and the Lord would pour out His Holy Spirit and He would send revival to the land and peace and prosperity and blessing would come. Israel was always in turmoil. There was always a, a more evil king that was arising to the place of leadership. I, I think that what was going on in the minds of Jews who love the Lord is, is that same old thing that's as old as the garden that we encounter today. The Jews had allowed a kind of us versus them mentality to be established between them and the Samaritans. Oddly enough, when Jesus was talking about those who faithfully followed him, he used the example of a good Samaritan. That was in order to try to slap in the face of legalistic Jews to say that God could use somebody that they only saw as a half-breed. And so when we allow ourselves to get a kind of us versus them mentality, we naturally begin to demonize them because they're not part of us. And it's the same thing we fight here in the South. It's, it's white and black and it's, it's rich and poor and it's educated and uneducated and it's, 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 it's Catholic and Protestant and it's Pentecostal and Baptist and it's, 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 it's Republican and Democrat and it's red states and blue states and it's whatever any of these areas that we can find ourselves divided from somebody else and we are God's blessed and chosen and they are the demonized group. God help us from playing into that nonsense. It is, it is inspired by the demonic. It is, it is led by principalities and powers. In any of those areas, whether it's racial or religious or social or economic, whether it's political, just all of the constant polarization and the separation. Because if we are separated and divided as a people, the enemy has already defeated us. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good already right now. Four of you are patty caking. Come on. How many of you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? And so the Bible says Jesus chose to go through Samaria. I mean, that's the bad end of town. Jews don't go there. White folk don't go down there. They quit going to that mall. It's quiet in here this morning. Black folk won't show up in that area of town. Uh, all the junk that we deal with, well, that, that, the, the black, white folk don't go to that school. Black kids aren't welcome at that school. All this kind of stuff that we are still battling. Fifty years after the great Dr. Martin Luther King gave his life sacrificially for, the, uh, for civil rights in America, we're still, here we are, still battling because it's the same spirit that we've been dealing with. And we've got to let go of it. Because I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to carry that mess into the kingdom of God. God, God, is, God is set up. It's just like at the airport where you've got to walk through a metal detector. God's going to frisk you of all that nonsense. And I just edited what I was truly thinking. All that BS. All that nonsense. I was raised in a home. My dad and my mom truly were raised in racist homes, but they knew that that mess had to go and they struggled, they struggled to, they, they, they confronted their own personal prejudices and told us, they, they, they raised me and Dewey in a home to say we are not going to think like that. 
And I'm thankful that I always grew up in church. There was always every available kind of variety. I remember going to church as a child and there were, there were Latinos and there were Asians and there were black folk and there were white folk and we just didn't really know whether what kind of church we were because we had this just whole great big mixture and it was so beautiful. Amazing music and great worship. And we, we may sing a song in, in Spanish and bendito el Señor, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and, and then maybe a brother might come up and get the groove on and we might have a little bit of African. And, 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 you know, then we go back and do a little bluegrass kind of white folk kind of Appalachian Mountain kind of sound. And it was beautiful. And it's in my notes. I don't even know how I got on this. But it was representative of the kingdom of God and that's how I grew up in church was to see that, that Jesus really did love red and yellow, black and white, all precious in His sight. And notice that we're dealing with truth here. Jesus chose to go through Samaria because He wanted to touch an individual that would have influence over the people around her. And she went out, left there, a changed woman and said, Come see a man who's told me everything. Reveal the contents of my heart. And Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Everybody say spirit and in truth. And what I want you to see this morning is that truth is a principle. Truth alone can be very dry. It can become a set of doctrines that we frame up and that we guard and we defend. And we even raise the sword sometimes thinking that we are blessed by God to shed blood History is bloody when it, we, we begin to see the religious conflicts that have been done in the name of protecting doctrine somehow completely disconnected from anything that has to do with the love of Christ. Only if we could all realize that God didn't save any of us because our theology was right. Matter of fact, He loved us in spite of all of our ignorance and our nonsense. Thank God He loved us in spite of that. Come on, somebody. And to realize that truth is a principle, but truth is more than a principle. Truth is a person. And I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church that was very, very intensely experience-driven. Man, it was all about just getting the praise on. Glory to God. And man, we get, I, as a matter of fact, I grew up and I, I was playing by the time I was 14, traveling all over, up and down the eastern seaboard and through the southern states, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia, up and around and up to the Virginia with, with a young evangelist who was 28, and I was the pump man. Man, I could get the crowd moving, and I saw the flesh. I saw all the stuff that, that, that pushed the envelope and, and, and how folks sometimes, with, in a lot of circumstances that were lacking in education and some wisdom and some discernment in life experiences, didn't realize that it was just some kind of great, big, huge emotional overload. And so because I saw the extreme of that, when I really began to pursue God, I, I got up out of one side. And many times in our, 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 our spiritual journeys, it's like a pendulum. We'll be in, in one view of God and God will swing the thing completely to the other side. In the, uh, all along going way past the middle where real health is. And sometimes God will let us get up out of one ditch on one side of the road and get up a full head of steam and run over and jump and play around in the mud and the puddle. And He'll let us splash around in the ditch on the other side of the road. Only to experience that there's not fulfillment in that either. And I left an intensely emotionally charged background. My folks were raised in the... Cleveland, Tennessee, Church of God, holiness, everything was a sin. 
Mama couldn't even drink a Coca-Cola when she was a little girl because that was a sin. Everything was a sin except for eating. And, of course, everybody in the church was 100 pounds overweight because that was the only thing they could do. And I'm just telling the truth. I don't mean to offend anybody. And so that just was part of the upbringing. And so I left that emotionally charged, it's completely experience-driven, not a lot of grounding in anything intellectual or academic. And so I immediately began to run to the other side and I pursued understanding God theologically. And I was reading the greats and something sparked in me and something just exploded on the inside of me as I began to read and learn from great men and women of God who had laid their lives down in previous outpourings of the Holy Spirit to, to, to help educate and train because the Bible says my people are destroyed not for a lack of emotion, but they're destroyed for what? For a lack of knowledge. And knowledge in any circle is power. It's if, you have, if you know the key, if you understand the mystery, if, you, if you've got the combination, you can unlock the door. There is available resources to you if you have the knowledge. And so I began to seek the Lord so that I could understand about Him. And I was years in that pursuit and I was so excited and it really began to grow and it started to explode on the inside of me. All the while, I just refused to get into the whole huge flesh side of what I'd seen over here. Only to only wake up one day. I remember being in my office. This is probably 20-something years ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm knee-deep in this tome. This is, this is a book big enough to be a doorstop. And I'm digging and I'm enjoying. And then finally I just went, Phew. I leaned back in my chair and I said, my God, this dude could, this dude could use a dose of the Holy Ghost. How many know what I'm talking about? Man, the intellect, the, the, the academic, which in my roots was really kind of played down as worldly, as almost of the devil. And so I pursued and went the other direction to the point that my wife called me a professional student, pursuing literally four, four degrees. And I know I don't act like I'm that educated, and I don't mean it in any way. I'm not saying that I'm all that, but I'm saying I began to pursue the other direction, and I started to see, okay, this in and of itself is just intellectual where that's emotional. And God made me to have both of those things. God wants spirit and truth. And, and, and there is nothing that is any more a tragedy than to have this gorgeous, beautiful, well-structured, built, theological fireplace and you can't get a fire lit in it. There's nothing scarier than to have wildfire ravaging, burning things down, destroying neighborhoods, which is what this extreme can be. But there's nothing that is more cemetery-like that is more dead in the grave that needs a resurrection than to get caught up in all the dusty pursuit of academic and intellectual pursuits and aware of the principle but you don't know the person who is the truth and his name is Jesus. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? So God says if you're going to worship me I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. I want you to build a fireplace that is, that is so powerful and strong that it can hold a blazing fire that will heat your home and cook your food and warm you and comfort you. And it won't be a, it won't be a blaze that will destroy you. But I, I'm not interested in structure that has no, nothing alive in it. 
Nothing more tragic than the, the beauty of this massive stone or brick edifice and, and it wasn't built right and you can't get a fire to stay lit in it. Have mercy, O oh Lord, when all our pursuits are so intellectual that we don't understand that God wants to bring the spirit, the person, the living, the ruach, the wind of God, the breeze of God in, the fire of God into our hearts and our lives and set us on fire. Hallelujah. I learned this years ago and he said, the mentor of my early pursuit of God said this, all truth and no spirit you dry up. All spirit and no truth you blow up. But spirit and truth you grow up. How many of you know God wants us to grow up? We want to be grounded in the word but we want to be alive in the spirit of God. Come on somebody. And so I, I, remember, I remember going to college and I met some Baptist guys that just loved Jesus. Oh, man. And just loved the Word. And so I hung out with them for a year or two. And, and what their love for the Word started rubbing off on me. And I got in the Word and I couldn't put it down. And the Bible started coming alive. And I remember, I remember my, my first year of college at Arkansas State University. I read through the New Testament twice and the whole Bible once. And I couldn't put it down. I would get up early in the morning and I would read before I'd go to class. And I, I would stick a three by five card into my, into my pocket and I would memorize scripture when I was by myself because I would mutter it. I wouldn't do it around people because that's just weird. And so I, 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 would, I would be by myself and I would mutter the word. I would meditate on it. I would chew it and I would think about it. I started hiding the word of God in my heart and I hung out with these Baptist guys. That, a couple of them were Methodists and so just good evangelical people that love the Lord and their love for the word started kind of growing on the inside of me. And guess what? What, ha- what they had rubbed off on me, but let me just tell you what I had rubbed off on them too because they all got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we were a group of guys that were just, we were too Pentecostal for the Baptist folk and, and we, were, we were too Baptist for the Pentecostal folk. And so what you're hearing is kind of the beginning of a vision that God put in my heart to say, you know what, we don't have to be either. We can be both. We can be a church that is alive with the Spirit of God and that loves the truth of God. And, and, and we can not play in a ditch on either side. And I'm not saying that folks are, that are in the ditch on either of those groups, I'm not saying that at all. There, there, are, there are Baptist churches that are alive with the Holy Ghost and there are Pentecostal churches now that are really growing in the Word. But guys, years ago it used to be really separated. And so, and so now there's more of kind of a come down the middle of the road and let's grow people and help them be disciples and learn that truth is a principle, but truth is also a person. Matter of fact, I just want to say to you in the beginning of 2018, we're right here fresh. It's just, January's just gotten started. This is a great time to commit to reading through the Bible. Maybe, maybe, one, maybe getting the whole Bible this year is too much. Maybe you just want to start with the New Testament. Maybe you just want to start maybe the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters. Most months have 31 days. Just start and make a commitment. Say, God, I'm going to grab a chapter a day out of this book of wisdom. Do that first. Hackle a month. And then maybe say, okay, I'm going to read the New Testament. Maybe you're ready to actually commit to maybe a read through the whole Bible. Maybe in a year is too fast. Maybe you want to commit to a three-year program. There are lots of amazing things online at Bible Gateway, at uversion.com that you can put on your smart devices, your tablets, your phones, your computer, whatever, that will actually read it to you. If you're not a reader, if you don't like to read, you can get hooked up with something that will read it to you and you can hear the Word of God read to you. I, I've done the same one for the last four years and this year I changed because I found this amazing one on uversion.com called The Bible Project. 
And the Bible Project is about, it's only three chapters a day, and at every major segment, they'll have a five to seven minute video. Now, this is awesome because it's got this growing, moving sketches, and it just literally, some of the best teaching I've ever seen in terms of opening up the old covenant and showing us the old Bible, how it all points to Jesus. How God's got this amazing story of redemption that he was weaving all the way back there in the first book, in the, the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis. So if you're not doing anything yet, I would encourage you to jump on version and look at the Bible Project. I promise you, you would be blessed and enjoy it. And it's only three chapters a day. By the end of the year, you've read through the whole Bible. That doesn't mean you've mastered it, but it means you've at least been introduced to all of it. And you start to get a better understanding of what it means to walk with the Lord. And, and, and the deal is not just getting a gold star at the end of the year by saying I've read through the whole thing, but it's every day showing up and expecting God to make something come alive and come off the page to touch you personally. Because this is the beautiful thing that happens. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you encounter truth, the Spirit takes the principle and He makes it personal. Because truth is a principle. And truth is a person. His name is Jesus. When we open the Word and let God breathe into it, truth all of a sudden comes alive. He takes the principle and He makes it personal. Because dead letter kills where spirit makes truth alive and empowers with grace and it speaks in love. Point number two, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. These are divine connections. It's not just enough to have truth by itself. First service this morning, I took a little bit of time differentiating the, the philosophical advances through the 20th century with relativism and now into postmodernism. Relativism really began to hit America in the 50s, 60s, and has begun to really is just kind of part of our whole cultural milieu. It's just, it's just on us. We've been marinated in it. It's as old as Genesis 3 and a whispering serpent that lies to us. Machiavelli made it popular in the Renaissance by writing The, the Prince, and he gave us the, the principle that says the end justifies the means. And a lot of folk in this room believe that's okay. If it all turns out to be good in the end, it doesn't matter what you do along the way. And God won't bless that. It's always the right thing to do the right thing. Somebody say amen. The world will say, you know what? We have to do some bad things to have a good come out in the end. And God says, no, I want you to learn to be a people of integrity and put your trust in me and not in your own ingenuity, your own strength, your own ability, your own conniving, your own refinancing, your own whatever you do to make it work and put your trust in God. Somebody say amen. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth, truth, truth. It was a great theologian of the 20th century. I can see his face and the name just escaped me. He said there is no more true truth. The idea is in this day that truth has lost its capital T. Relativism basically tells us that my situation, my circumstances, and what I decide is my truth. And who are you to tell me and put your truth on me? My truth is my truth. And we have lots of people making decisions that are against the word of God and the law of God and the character of God. And I just want to tell you as a Bible-believing pastor, before a pastor as a Christian... I believe that God himself sets the standard for what is true and what is false, for what is good and what is evil, for what is right and what is wrong. Don't shout me down. Somebody say amen. But truth by itself can be a weapon. Truth alone 
when we embrace this idea of a standard, and relativism tells us there are no absolutes, which is self-contradictory and it implodes upon itself because that in itself is an absolute. When you say there are no absolutes, that's an absolute statement. And so relativism falls apart when we start to think that I can just do whatever I need to do willy-nilly. I can, the end justifies the means. And I have to come back to a place of going, God, what is truth in my life? What, show me who you are. Show me what truth is. And truth is a principle and truth is a person. But to deal with truth and to deal with it in a way that blesses people and doesn't destroy them, I have to have a divine connection with spirit and I have to have a divine connection with grace. Everybody say grace. Verse 17 of John 1, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. The King James says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Everybody say grace. Everybody say truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. You want to know how God is? Look at Jesus. All of the Old Testament descriptions are in part. They, they, they are limited. There was misunderstanding because they compared the God that they served to the other gods of all the creation around them. And basically God says, let's clear all of this up. Let's show everybody, I want to show everybody who I am and how I am. And the son stepped forward and said, I will go. I believe it was a divine intertheistic council before the creation of the world. And the father said, who will go for me? It's like Isaiah 6. And the son stepped forward and he says, I will go. And the sun came down. God dropped the extension cord down from heaven. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The message, Eugene Peterson says it this way, The Word was made flesh and He moved into the neighborhood. I remember as a fourth grader, the year that the, the, the West Memphis school system integrated. It was 1974, nearly 20 years after uh, we were the Brown versus Board of Education. We clearly had separate school systems, and there was certainly not separate and equal. Wonder School, elementary, junior high, high school, was literally trying to educate young African-American students with, with clearly inferior equipment in their science labs, stuff that was old and worn out, not able to be able to get a, a tax dollars allocated, and the demand federally came that we would integrate the schools. I remember the fear. I remember the concern. I remember how much my mama was concerned, who labored to not be prejudiced, who, who, who worked alongside two lovely African-American women who loved Jesus at the West Memphis Flower Shop, and she, she came to where she loved them like her sisters. And they were named Annie and Minnie. Both great designers in, in floral arranging and mom worked with them and to the point that Annie and Minnie would, and would pray with mom. And they'd say, Miss Mary, pray. And, and, and she, would call, she called them Miss Annie and Miss Minnie. And they, they would pray together. And this was back in the 60s and the 70s. And I remember in 74 when they integrated the schools and I was going to school at Bragg and they sent a black man. They sent a black man to take away my beautiful white teacher, Miss Bennett, that I had a crush on in the fourth grade. His name was Mr. Boatman. Did he ever have Mr. Boatman? Yeah, those four or five hands went up. Do you know, I remember 
in the middle of the, maybe two or three months in the school year and everything got shifted around and some of our teachers from this end of the city got sent down to the other city and Mr. Boatman showed up at school and all the little white kids are big-eyed going, oh, this is a black man in, our, in an elementary school classroom. Do you know by the end of the year I loved that man almost like he was my father? Because he paid special attention to the, every student in that room like nobody had ever paid attention to before. He passed recently and his life was celebrated. What a powerful individual who had to endure the suspicion, just the whispering, the stuff that, it, that it had existed for generations in South, in white America and black America, and how one man was able to actually day in, day out, live it on the line as a gentleman, as a Christian, and, and went down to be probably one of the most memorable teachers that I will have, ever have in my life. And as a young fourth grader, I learned right then that, that God was able to show me something beyond this color of the skin of a person. Because I loved Mr. Boatman, one of my favorite teachers. I'm telling you this story because it's important because we're 50 years later down the road from the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King just, just a couple of miles that way. But yet we're still kind of in this moment. And so we need to face truth. We're, as, as white evangelicals, we're not going to take our prejudice into the kingdom of God. God's going to frisk you like you get frisked at the airport and go, nope, you've got to get rid of that baggage, lose that. It's quiet in here, but oh, I'm preaching so good. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Uh, man, I, I, I love all my Baptist friends, but I tell you, in the South there are more Baptists than there are people. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. Thank God for the Baptist folk because they've, 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 they have drilled us in what grace is. Because every Baptist in here, if I say, what is grace, what are you going to say immediately? Unmerited favor. Say it, come on. Unmerited favor. And that's so good because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work it in. It's unmerited. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's, it's God's unmerited favor. But, but so many times in the Bible Belt, grace is viewed in light of our past sinfulness. And it's not viewed, it's like a blanket that covers all of our rough bumps. You know, when you throw a blanket on something, you can still see the shape of everything underneath it. <laughs> Some of us looking like the hunchback of Notre Dame in our sin and covered, covered up in grace, but <sighs> we love Jesus. We got grace, but man, we're still a mess underneath that grace. But the Bible views grace in light of our new creation, the righteousness of God that is in us now because of Jesus. And the other half, the other flip side of that coin is that grace is not only unmerited favor, grace is operational power. Grace is something that I can be strong in. Grace is something that God has given me to transform me. Grace is not an excuse to stay in my sin. It's the power of God to get set free from it. Hallelujah. Unmerited favor is grace like a blanket. It covers me. Un uh, operational power is grace like a nuclear plant. It empowers me from the inside. Listen, this is the other side. This is the Bible definition. Same guy who wrote Ephesians 2, 8, 9 also wrote this. His name is Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says in verse 8, Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. It's that famous passage where he says, Over 500 saw the resurrected Jesus Peter and James and John and he lists the apostles. And so he breaks in and he says, Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. 
For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Now listen to this. Hear this. Hear me. But whatever I am now, that's who I used to be. But whatever I am now, But whatever I am now, Paul says, it is all because God poured out His special favor on me. Everybody say grace. Now in case you don't think I'm doing right by telling you that's what grace is, I'm going to read three more different translations to prove it to you. God poured out His special favor on me and that not without results. Because when grace comes, you will be transformed. You can't be the same. And be connected, connecting truth to grace. It's going to transform you. Come on, somebody. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I but God who was working through me by His grace. Let me read the NIV. New International Version says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. I love the NLT, but whatever I am now. By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. ESV. All the scholars tell you this is the nearest one to the original now. English Standard Version. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. One more last one. Are you getting anything out of this? Listen to the message. Eugene Peterson says, But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. I want everybody just to, right now, just put your hand over your heart and say this right now. Because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. So you are right now, what you are, because of, by the grace of God, Not only His blanket of unmerited favor, but now His operational power on the inside. Listen to what He says, and I'm I'm not about to let His grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So grace gives you your mission, and grace gives you your permission. Grace gives you your direction and grace gives you the power to get there. God charges you with your calling and He appoints you and He anoints you by that same grace to accomplish His vision for your life. Everybody say, I have a destiny. Come on. I just want to say this. God has given us a great work this year. We didn't take a miracle offering in the fall because we wanted to wait till the spring because we've encountered some additional expenditures that are outside of our budget and we need to, we need to raise about $50,000 this spring. I, I have a term life policy that I have to put in place because we're an independent organization and this happens all the time to churches like ours where they'll have the lead man carry a term life policy. And let me just say, I'm not the beneficiary. Not that I could use it if it got put into play anyhow. Think about that. Some of you are getting it. It's sort of rolling through the room, rippling now. Because if the policy's put into effect, I'm dead, so I can't use it. It's not for my family. They're not the beneficiaries, not the church, but the bank is the beneficiary. If I pass then they get paid back at least a million dollars toward our $3.4 million that we're borrowing. Well, a $407 a month policy has become a $1,470 a month policy. 
and that's not in our budget. Uh, I cannot walk from the past of my medical history, prostate cancer. And that's the big one. It became a $407 a month policy to become almost $1,500 a month. So we're going to have to, we just, I just said, nope, we're going to do it. We're going ahead. We're, God's going to bless. We'll cover this. We also have to have a builder's risk policy, which will disappear as soon as the building's built. But that's going to be another fifteen dollars to $18,000. So, and some other expenses that are in there included in that, we're trusting God for about $50,000. We're not going to twist your arm. We're not going to show up at your house and make you sign a pledge card. All I'm asking you to do is what I'm asking you to do right now. Pray and ask the Lord what you're supposed to do. We'll dedicate one Sunday, which we'll announce in the future, that everything that comes in that one Sunday is the only thing we're going to do. We're not going to have a big push. We're not going to wear you out. I, I prayed years ago sitting in a church where they would take hour-and-a-half-long offerings, and I said, God, if you ever let me be a pastor, I am not going to pull for money the way they're doing it here. And for all these years, we never have, and we're not going to start now. But I'm telling you, this is the need. You pray, God will meet it, because nothing is impossible with God. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. We trust God, and He'll meet the need. Dead letter kills, but spirit makes truth alive and empowers with grace and speaks in love. Last point. Are you still alive on the table this morning? Come on, let me sew you up. We've been doing an operation here. We're relearning what grace is. Grace is not just unmerited favor, a blanket that covers me, but grace is operational power, a dynamo that produces strength inside me. And it's Christ. Finally, the last one is speak the truth in love. Say that with me. Speak the truth in love. The bread of heaven ascended... And he divided himself into five loaves and he gave those gifts to men, Ephesians 4 says. And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For the maturing of the saints to do the work of the ministry until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man is what Ephesians says. And he says right here in 14, Then we will no longer be immature like children. Speak the truth in love. Would you put that scripture up for me? Yeah, it comes in at 15, doesn't it? We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. And here we go. Read out loud with me. Instead, we will speak the truth in what? Love. Because truth alone, without spirit, without grace, without love, can be a weapon that destroys. It's one thing to get real with somebody. It's something else to do it from a spirit of love trying to help somebody. Because you can get real with somebody and hurt them. Come on, somebody say amen. He says, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. One verse and I'm finished. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and what? Full of, full of love. That's God's vision right there. To have a divine connection, to not just have truth, like a dead doctrine, but alive with the Spirit of God. To not have truth like a weapon, but to be covered with the grace of God. To not have truth like something that would harm someone, but be given in love. I would be completely remiss, and I believe it would be sinful for me if I closed this message today and didn't at least, I really wish I could have preached the whole message to talk about the life of this man. But in the closing moments, I give this time to talk for just a second about the courage and the love of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Tomorrow is January the 15th. His birthday, it's also my son's birthday. Drew will be 30 tomorrow. I was proud when my son was born on Dr. King's birthday. And then Abby's birthday is the next day. 
They're seven years and one day apart. Drew will be 30, Abby will be 23. And so in this year, in this 50th year from Dr. King's assassination, there'll be a lot of stuff going on in Memphis, a lot of stuff around the country. I would just ask you to check our hearts for the tendency to judge people by their outward appearance. Because God doesn't do that. He looks at the heart. To quote Dr. King, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Dr. King said it this way, it is not possible to be in favor of justice for some people and not justice for all people. Arbitrary justice is no justice at all. Selective justice isn't justice at all. And when we have one kind of justice for a white teenager who does something wrong and a completely different kind of justice for a black teenager who does the same thing, then our system is broken. It's messed up. Dr. King says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. It's so easy, I'll just tell you, I'll just confess to you, it's so easy because there are hate preachers on both sides of this issue. They're they're radical activists on the African American side that are, that are preaching things that just make ordinary white folks rise up and get angry and go, I, I, I don't do any of that. And it's, there's influence there. And you know what? Let me just turn right around and say there's also radical, white-only, KKK-inspired talk on this side. And we cannot let voices from either side influence us because we are kingdom people. Jesus stood in a crowd, and he made both sides mad, the Sadducees on one side and the Pharisees on the other. And so many times to be a man or a woman of the kingdom of God means you have to make a third choice. It's not about this political party or its, its opposite side. It's not about this issue or its opposite side. It's about walking down the middle and saying, God, help me to be a peacemaker in the middle of all of this pure nonsense. Let's check our hearts. It's not about the color of our skin, but it's the content of our character. I read as I close today a favorite psalm of mine that is very powerful in my own life. Right now, Psalm 85. Lord, you poured out blessings on our land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury You kept back your blazing anger. Now, restore us again, O God of our salvation. This is my prayer for the United States of America. Because we're not people of the empire. Caesar is not the answer. Real Christians laid their neck on the line when they refused to declare Caesar is Lord. The whole phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, was a political statement in the face of an empirical ruler, Caesar. Whatever his political party, it's not who's in the White House. Come on, somebody help me a little bit this morning. And as a Christian, I'm not going to take either side. I'm not going to be this nationalistic kind of mess. And, and the answer to that is not hyper-liberalism. The answer is the kingdom of God. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? 
Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for He speaks peace to His faithful people. Now when you hear that, don't, don't put it in an us and them framework. Okay, God's giving white folk peace. Okay, God's giving black folk peace. No, God's giving folk peace. Faithful people. Not about color of skin. Come on, somebody. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, so our land will be filled with His glory. Here it is. This is what I've been building to. Verse 10 right here. Unfailing love and truth. Everybody say mercy. King James says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the earth and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Yes, the Lord pours down His blessings. Our land will yield its bountiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before Him, preparing the way of His steps. Mercy and truth met in a manger in Bethlehem. Truth is God's standard of holiness and righteousness, the demand of God's holy character. And mercy is the love of God. And they met and kissed in a baby in Bethlehem. And this morning I want to ask you, I want to tell you, don't pray for justice. Because if I got justice, I would, I would be in a burning hell. If I got what I deserved, I would be in a place of eternal torment where the worm dies not, the Bible says. So I don't pray for justice because justice is getting what you deserve. I'm so thankful that when God sent Jesus, mercy and truth met and kissed together. And I'm thankful that God gave me mercy because mercy is not getting what I deserve. And I'm so thankful that because of the, the, the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ, I can have mercy. The old, old story of the two brothers and Cain and Abel and Cain killed his brother Abel and the book of Hebrews says the blood of Abel cries from the ground vengeance vengeance but I love it because it says <laughs> it says it says the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel because Abel's blood cries vengeance but Jesus' blood cries mercy <laughs> mercy and because his blood is on my life God sees it and he, he gives me mercy in all of my ignorance and all of my stupidity and all of my, my wrongheadedness, He gives me mercy. And I'm so grateful that God doesn't stop there. He doesn't give me justice what I deserve, but He gives me mercy. I don't get what I deserve, but God doesn't stop there. He adds grace upon grace. Guess what grace is? Grace is getting what I don't deserve. It's everything in the positive that I couldn't have possibly earned. It's His unmerited favor that covers me like a blanket in my sin. It's His operational power that shows me the call He has on my life and the energy to carry it out. <laughs> I'm so thankful today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God help us.